This is Dorey Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 199. Cowabunga! Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now, your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, good people? Welcome back to a brand new episode, a brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. And um, on today's episode, we have a brand new featured guest. His name is Mr. Jeff Badu. And he's just your typical millennial millionaire who has a few businesses and they're doing really, really well. Um, But no, seriously, guys, this is an amazing podcast interview. And uh, Jeff has three businesses. He has a tax business. He has a rental car business. And of course, he has a real estate investment business. And we'll get into all three of those businesses on the show. And one thing I believe I want to learn a little bit more about um, just for general knowledge is the rental car business and why these uh, businesses are taking off. Um, I believe there's a high demand for rental cars right now and lots of individuals are starting their rental car businesses and they're using sites like Turo and Hire Car, uh, which are very similar to uh, the Airbnb models, right? Um, and using websites like Airbnb and uh, home away and things like that. But um, I think it's super cool and super interesting. And it's a great time for people to be exploring that as a business avenue. Uh, so with Jeff, he started using his primary car as a rental. And he started making $1,000 extra a month. And he realized, okay, if I had 10 of these, I can make $10,000 extra a month. And that's exactly what he did. So this business, he kind of just stumbled upon it, right? He was trying to build out his tax business and he just needed some passive income to help him build out that business. So again, it just goes to show you that there are so many business models out there. And a lot of these business models are soundproof business models. I mean, they actually work and you see, you know, six figure entrepreneurs and seven figure entrepreneurs and sometimes even eight figure entrepreneurs that are using these business models. But at the end of the day, most people that pursue these things, they don't make any money. And you know why? Because it's not the business model that's not working. It's the individual. You know, if you go back to the last episode, episode 198, I talked about my hypothesis that says that, hey, like you're going to make as much money as you want to make based on your financial thermostat. And the former felon on that episode, Mr. Nate Berger, he was accustomed to making a lot of money. So when he got out of the drug game and we got into real estate, it was a no brainer that he needed to. It was a must. He had decided that he was going to succeed. Whereas most people, they're just like, yeah, you know, it'd be cool to have a property or two. It'd be cool to jump in. I'm going to try and see if it works. But seeing if it works is not commitment. Guaranteeing to yourself that it works is commitment. So I think that's the real difference. And again, all these business models are so cool and so fascinating. And I love especially the real estate side of things where I can bring on different entrepreneurs who have a different niche in real estate. But this Turo model is is pretty cool in itself. And it's something that anybody with a car can start doing literally in a couple of days. So so anyways, just my little rant, my two cents for the day. So if you guys are interested in the rental car slash Turo slash higher car subject matter, um, I can definitely grab an expert and bring them on the show and have them enlighten us 
per se. But I think Jeff does a, a good job in the little segment that we do talk about that portion of the business. So stay tuned for that. So let's go ahead and talk to Jeff. Let's talk about how he became a business owner. And um, he has a very similar background to me. He was a big four accountant and he didn't want to work for the man anymore. So he decided to venture out on his own and start a few businesses. And again, like I said in the beginning of this recording, all of these businesses are doing very well. We'll talk about these businesses in detail on the show. And we'll, and we'll also talk about the difference between buying something for what it costs versus buying something for what it's worth. And even if just one person catches that aha, that light bulb moment from this conversation, then my job here is achieved. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get to the feature presentation of today's show, our interview with Mr. Jeff Badu. And now your feature presentation. I was born and raised in Ghana. You know, for those who don't know, it's on the west side of Africa. And so growing up in Ghana, it was um, it was pretty good. You know, it wasn't a struggle or anything like that. And I got exposed to entrepreneurship early. So I, you know, basically growing up in Ghana, you have people that sell things on the streets. So you might have someone who's selling candy, who's selling apples, who's selling oranges, whatever it takes to make ends meet. Ghana is a very entrepreneurial you know, area, a lot of entrepreneurs. And so for me, I saw that with my own two eyes. And that, in a way, inspired me to want to become an entrepreneur. I'm like, hey, you know, it might be a good idea to own my own business one day. And also my parents are entrepreneurs. My dad is a real estate developer. And my mom is also a real estate developer. But she also does things like retail on the side. So I got exposed to entrepreneurship early as a very, very young kid, literally coming out the womb. I was able to see entrepreneurs. And so I'm the kid that, you know, if you gave me a candy bar, I would say thank you. And then I would go out and sell it on the streets for a profit. Right. So I'm not the, I'm not the kid that was eating the candy. I was the one that was selling the candy, basically. And along the way, I my sister, my older sister and I, we got accepted into the immigration lottery. So we actually won an immigration lottery. My parents were already in the U.S., so we migrated to the U.S. with them. So I was eight years old at the time, and unfortunately, that's when things went downhill And that I was put into a neighborhood called Uptown, which is one of the neighborhoods in Chicago. It was very, very notorious back then for crime, violence, and just a lot of stuff you wouldn't want a kid to be involved with or anybody for that matter. And so with that, unfortunately, I surrounded myself with friends that were involved in all the things that were going on in Uptown. And they say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And unfortunately, I became in a way one of them, you know, because I basically was hanging out, hanging out with them every single day, even if I didn't want to. That's just the lifestyle that I was sucked into. And so that was a big struggle. Right. It was um, it was very, very tough. It was a hard journey. It was one of those where it was survival. I was literally playing the game for survival. And with that, thankfully. Right. Thankfully, at the age of 16, my family and I took a trip back to Ghana. And that's when I discovered my purpose in life, which is to inspire and support the super hungry to take hold of infinite resources in order to create an abundant lifestyle. You now, discovered that at the age of 16? At the age of 16. Absolutely. I'm sure you absolutely. didn't have the rhetoric down pack like that, though. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. You know, so overall, I... I basically went back to Ghana. It was a family trip that we took to Ghana. And I finally understood the struggle that people were going through. I finally understood that people were selling things on the streets, not because they wanted necessarily wanted to, but most of them, they had to, right? They were playing a game of survival as well. So I'm like, you know what? How about I equip myself with the resources that have already been provided to me? Let me actually take hold of it. Let me start teaching people about money, how to manage finances, how to start a business properly, you know, how to get away from scarcity into abundance. And so I saw a lady, for example, she had not one but two babies wrapped around her back. And she had a huge load of apples, oranges, right? Whatever it took to make ends meet and feed her family. And I said, you know what? I'm meant to help people like her. And so that that light bulb just shined. I finally saw the light in life. And that allowed me to ultimately 
do better, right? It allowed me to not take my resources for granted anymore. So instead, when I came back to the States, I, everything I did was 10 times harder, right? I got better grades in school. I, you know, I surrounded myself with more like-minded people. I acquired a mentor, someone who was a youth leader at church. And I also tapped into my spiritual life even more. My spiritual life is what drives me to do everything. My spirit is what's driving me to talk right now, for example. You know, so with that, being, you know, being able to tap into the spirit and being able to surround myself with more like-minded people, that allowed me to move in the right direction. So now my mind opened up. I'm like, okay, well, now let's talk about the business plan. Let's talk about starting an accounting firm, right? Let's talk about starting a real estate investment company. And so fast forward to when I went to college at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, where I was the very first person in my high school, Uplift Community High School, to get accepted into the U of I. You know, it was, it, it was a big turning point in my life as well, because that allowed me to get more of a formal education. And when I got to the U of I, one of the first things I did was I started doing research on the tax and accounting industry, right? And so ultimately I got my bachelor's degree in accounting in 2014 and I got my master's degree in accounting in 2015. And while I was there, I was working on my business plan, Badu Tax Services, LLC. That's my tax firm, the CPA firm. And I was also interning at PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is one of the big four public accounting firms in the world. Fast forward from there, you know, after interning, I got a full-time um, position. So I was working full-time from 2015 to 2016. And then on September 2nd, 2016, I believe that was the day after Labor Day um, in 2016, I got called in. I was literally on my way to a barbecue. And then I got- oh, I, 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 I didn't make that story up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also didn't make it up because I experienced it myself, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> there you go. I was literally on my way to a barbecue. And they called me to come to work. I'm like, I mean, you guys are nuts, right? That, that's insane. And that the one day that you're not supposed to work, I get called into work. And so I got extremely fed up. And for other reasons as well, there were some other things going on at the firm. And so I got really fed up. And I said, you know what? This is not the way to be living. I need to break the chain. I need to break the shackles. I need to be more free. And so I turned to my two-week notice the next day. And on September 2nd, 2016, I became a full-time entrepreneur where I launched a company known today as Badu Tax Services, LLC. I love it. I love it. I love how your story was so succinct and, um, you know, it's it's very relatable, right? And, you know, the listeners of this podcast, they, they know my story through and through. Um, over the past few years, I've shared a lot, but um, it's almost identical to your story, right? Working at a big four accounting firm and dealing with the daily doings of just corporate America um, mm -hmm. and being in the position that you're in. And again, it's it's a lot of stress and it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of unhealthy seasons and things of that nature. And I remember I hit my boiling point. I remember I, I tell this, I've told the story probably at least 10 times on this podcast, but I remember, you know, again, typical weekend, man, I'm, I'm about to, I have everything planned. I'm about to go do this, that, and the third. They don't care about weddings, anniversaries, deaths, you name it. You know, I get a call um, hey, you got to go to San Francisco for an audit and, and you know, you got to be there for the next, you know, three months, pack your bags, be ready by, I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, you know, over and over again, at first, you know, when you get there, you're like, oh, like the Amex card, it's amazing. The, the, the four-star hotels, the, you know, per diem, all this stuff, like, man, like I finally made it. And, you know, when you, they sell you with all those things and you finally get there and you realize that it's not what it's, what it's made out to be, but all that time, you had an alternate plan, like you had a different purpose. And it wasn't as though, you know, for me personally, I knew I had a different purpose, but I didn't know what it was. You know, I had no idea what it was, when it was going to start, who it was going to be through and, and how to go about even figuring that out. I was just stuck. But for you, 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 at the age of 16, you realize what your purpose was. And I always say there's, there's mostly two types of people. There are people like me who, you, you kind of know that your purpose throughout your life, but you don't really know where to get there, how it is, what it's going to be. I, I took accounting, right? I, I went down the accounting route because I wanted, I, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be safe. I was like, how can I be safe? If I know I'm going to eventually be an entrepreneur business owner, what's the safest thing to do in college that can guarantee that'll have some type of impact on future me? 
I was like, okay, well, let me just go study the business of numbers, right? And if I do that, no matter what I decide to do, it's going to be beneficial, right? I was playing it safe. Whereas again, you were strategic with all of the moves that you made, right? My sister, my little sister, she's very similar. She knew since the age of freaking six that she was going to be an OBGYN, right? She's currently, um, she currently has one of the highest MCAT scores I've personally seen, right? And she's doing amazing. She starts, she started med school. Uh, I think she started this week, matter of fact, right? But she's always known. And I've always been jealous of that. I, I kind of figured out my path a little bit later. Again, you've always known since the age of 16. And it was because I always, okay. you know, I, I find this in well-traveled people. It was because you got to experience like polar opposite situations, Right. You right. got to you got to see these dynamics that you don't really get to see if you're if you're in in one environment, right? And and you realized again through your experiences that there's so much more that you can do. So you decide to start your own business, right? And your parents mm-hmm. have your, your your parents have 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 guided you up until this point, but now you're starting something that there's there's no there's no path, there's no instructions. You know, you're not you're not you're not moonlighting where you're like, hey, I'm not. I'm, you know, again, a lot of people, which is a safe thing, to do I recommend you moonlight. And then you figure out, like, does this business have legs? Does it not? Okay, cool. It does. I'm going to jump off. You said, hey, I'm tired of this. I can devote all these hours, which, again, I know the mindset, to my actual business and see what becomes of that. What, what were the first few months like for you? I mean, the first few months were very scary. I mean, my heart was literally pounding out of my chest every single day. I was very, very scared. Um, but I knew there was a greater future ahead. So basically, you know, it was. Um, I left in September, which is not the most strategic time to leave to start your own tax firm, unfortunately. But but it, it is, me, but it is the most strategic time to leave a big four. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is very true. Yep. That is true. You know, so basically what happened there was I was able to spend time working on my business plan, but I also knew that I needed extra. Right? I knew I needed another source of income. So this was where I started reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, by Robert Kiyosaki, who talks about, you know, having multiple streams of income. And so with that, I was working on my business plan for 20 hours a week and networking, going to events and just putting my work, my brand and my image out there. And, uh, and then another 20 hours driving Uber. Right? So Uber basically was very popular and it's still popular you know, to this day. So I was driving Uber 20 On the hours. south side of Chicago? I don't know. No. It was, on the, yeah, on the north side. <laughs> on the north side. <laughs> on the north okay. side. Yeah, south side, definitely. definitely <laughs> you know, so basically, you know, I was driving Uber and then I was also doing the, um, working on my business plan. So I had a mortgage, I had bills, obligations. So Uber. So you, you, so you already you already bought your first property, your primary residence at this point. Yeah, I had already bought my first condo, which was actually a mistake in my opinion, because I could have easily bought a four unit building using a three and a half percent down payment. I did not make that mistake. (laughs) I did not make that mistake. (laughs) That's exactly what I did. But yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So you don't know what you don't know until you know. Right. Right. And I finally got to know, and then I did take advantage at that time. But overall, you know, I was making about two thousand a month doing Uber. Uh, which was enough. To That's cover, good money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was good enough to cover my bills, my mortgage, my, you know, I didn't really have a car note or anything like that. So fast forward to January, which is when tax season starts, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I got to make a decision. Do I keep driving Uber part-time or do I just shut that Uber thing down and do my tax firm full-time? So I took the latter decision, shut my Uber business down and then did my tax firm full-time you know, but there was a car that was sitting on the street, not doing anything. So I said, you know what, why not allow this car? It was paid off. So no like real expenses or anything. Why not put that car on a platform and rent it out to somebody? So that's when I found a site called Turo and Hire Car, which allowed me to basically put my car on a platform and make money off of it. So once I put the car on the platform, the next day, somebody said, hey, I'll book your car for a month, but I'll give you $1,000 to do it. I'm like, wait a second, right? Another light bulb shined in my life. I'm like, you mean to tell me I don't have to do anything and you're going to pay me $1,000 just to use my car, my asset? And I said, well, why don't I have more cars? So right when he picked up the car, the next day I went and bought a Mercedes, which is technically my dream car. Right. Now I was like, okay, I have no choice. Let me keep driving a Mercedes 
and you know flaunting and all that or let me make let me make some money using the mercedes as an asset so i put the mercedes on turo i literally picked up my sister from prom you know i took her to prom the day i bought the mercedes and then the next day it went on turo somebody booked it and that started making a thousand a month i'm like okay wow this this is good stuff Long story like, the, short, like dj Khaled would say another one <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know long story short Ended up about 10 cars the first year of running that car wow. rental business, a business that started out the blue, literally out of nowhere. I was making six figures in that business. So my first six-figure business wasn't actually my tax firm. It was my car rental business. Happens. So that, exactly. So then that allowed me to be free. I, I technically became financially free because the cars, I was making enough passive income to pay all my bills, all my expenses, my lifestyle. So that I can focus more on my active business, which is my tax firm. And it doesn't put as much pressure on me to try to make money with the tax firm. Now I could take my time, you know, screen people a lot more and just in general, enjoy actually doing taxes. Right. Yeah. So Man, this, one thing. It's so exciting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've done so many of these, but every single time it feels brand new. I feel like I'm in your moment. I know our listeners do as well. And it's just like, man, this is, you know, you, 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 you did with cars with, what myself and a lot of the listeners have, and I'm sure you've done with this with this with real estate at this point, but you do you've mm-hmm. done with cars what we're doing with real estate, right? You you're creating that passive income vehicle so that you can go on to do the things that you actually truly want to do. And that's I think that's so important, right? Your your passion, right? And your passion is totally opposite from mine. Your passion was the tax business. I I was trying to run away from all things numbers. <laughs> I was trying to run away. From, I never wanted to see another spreadsheet, another balance sheet, another. another mm. I, I never I never want to see that stuff again. But that was your passion. That was the business that you're building. But you needed to sustain yourself. And you know what's funny is I, I when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad which is by, by the way, the first book I read as an adult, I didn't want, like till the age of 25, I did not read a single book, Jeff, like not one, like not mm. one. Wow. And I tried from, from like 17, 19, I, I would try to read the 48 laws of power. Um, I would try to read it on planes right before I went to bed early in the morning when I woke, I just wasn't a reader. Um, but again, at, at my big four firm, um, my, the staff too, though, she was one year ahead of me. She gave me this book and I was just like, why are you like, you know who I am. Like, why would you give me a book? Like me and books don't mix, but I was such in a depressed state. I was like, man, I, uh, whatever, just, just whatever. She's like, yeah, Hey, Deray, I think that, you know, just I'm reading, I'm reading this book on the way into work. And I think that if you read it, you know, it, it'll, it'll maybe give you some answers. I, I read that book in a day it was a Holy grail. I've been reading about a book a week ever since. Like I, you know, I'm close to 200 now, but that book was the crux of everything. And it was the, it was the language that I didn't know existed. Right. My mom is a natural born entrepreneur, right? Same, same with your parents, but the way she goes about the business and what she's able to bestow to me, especially at that time, I wasn't really receiving, but I understood the concepts in this book so well as if it was a part of me before I read that book. Or when I read the book, I was like, yeah, this is the language I've been trying to speak all my life. I didn't, I didn't know this stuff was real. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know there was a whole nother world out there, right? So Again, the the power that that has, the power of that book, the power uh, uh, of taking these these small but calculated steps, right? You you start the Uber business, right? The side hustle just to pay the bills. You realize through that because you already have your entrepreneurship hat on because you've already been reading some of these books. Hey, this is one of those assets that Robert is talking about. I can leverage this and do this and grow this and do more. Right. So again, I just want to I just want to make sure that we're succinctly covering the fact that you're using these cars to then do what it is that you want, which is build this tax business. Now, exactly. in in building this business, right? I'm sure lots of problems come with a tax business. Again, it's a and I could be totally wrong. I have a few friends that are tax accountants, but it's a very seasonal business, right? As you're as you're building out this tax business and you're running you know, your, 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 your car business, what are some of the problems that, that are, that are, that are arising? What is, or maybe let's just pull out the biggest one, right? You have this, this six figure car company going on and you're trying mm-hmm. to build out your tax business. What's the, this, what's the single biggest thing that's in your way. And let's, let's dive into that story. Yeah. I mean, in general, you're usually the biggest obstacle in your own way. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's um, just learning how to manage multiple things at the same time. 
you know, you have, for example, a car renter. I didn't have like a full-time manager or anything. So I was still the one managing the cars. So, you know, dealing with tickets, accidents, late payments, I was the one that had to manage all of that. And what happened was since I didn't have someone overseeing it, all of a sudden late payments started happening. Accidents, tickets, all these crazy things, impounds, right? Spending five hours at an impound shop you know, during tax season is not the funnest experience oh, no. in the I, world. I'd be pissed. I'd be boiling. What, during tax season? Five hours yeah, of my time <laughs> at an impound? Oh, no. Now I get it. I get it. <laughs> exactly. So that was the biggest obstacle. It was just time management, just learning how to appropriately manage my time effectively. Um, and, you know, and dedicating enough time to the tax business, which is the main business, you know, but I, I fell in love with passive income so much that sometimes, I had given a lot of attention to the car rental business. That was my next question. How can you how can you call the tax business? I know me, like especially mm-hmm. when I was I first started when I first started the, in, down this entrepreneurial path, I started eight businesses because I didn't know what the main business was. I was just trying to leave my job. I mm-hmm. never wanted to see another accounting firm again, right? So I started <laughs> eight of them, right? But if I would have saw one business take off earlier on, like you mm-hmm. saw the, the car company business that, I mean, what do you mean the main business? That's the only business, right? <laughs> but, but what made you keep the focus on the tax business? Yeah. I mean, you have to, first of all, you have to lay out your vision board. You have to lay out your goals. What is it that you really want in life? And for me, it wasn't to be running a car rental business for the rest of my life as my main business. I knew that I wanted to help people when it comes to their finances. I wanted to be able to educate people, especially entrepreneurs, business owners. I mean, I wanted to help solve a big problem, which is financial literacy, especially when it comes to the tax field. So overall, for me, it's understanding my why, understanding my purpose. You know, I always go back to my purpose anytime I'm, I'm, I'm torn between two decisions. So my purpose was leading me into making sure I'm running my CPA firm. But at the same time, part of my purpose is to live an abundant lifestyle or create an abundant lifestyle. So what better way to create an abundant lifestyle than to fuel your own lifestyle with a passive income source? Yeah, I love it. When, when, did, when did real estate really um, come in the picture for you? Because again, you bought that first condo. It was a personal property. You kind of just a little bit regret it. Um, <laughs> or at, you, you don't regret it, but you would do things differently if you, if you were re-given the opportunity. But when did real estate really just come in the picture for you? And was it like full force or was it like a little dabble? Was it like, uh, I, I see it over there. I'm, I'm paying attention. Not really. But how, how, did it, how did it start coming into play? Yeah, long story short, I started doing a lot of research and education on real estate. I did a flip in 2017, which went horribly bad. I mean, lost mm-hmm. about 20, I think about $30,000 on a flip. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, made the same mistake, went into another flip. Most people would have quit, would have mm-hmm. given up. I almost filed for bankruptcy personally in 2018. But I, I decided to revamp my strategy through education. You know, when you learn something, then you act. So I started going into rentals. And so I had got an FHA loan with a friend. You know, we went in on a three unit together. We partnered 50-50. So I was able to secure that. That was doing really well. And it gave me some peace of mind. I didn't have to be a lot of intensive management. And then I went and got a four unit, you know, using another FHA loan. Okay, I I can accumulate properties. And now fast forward, we're at 125 units under our control. And we have a full-time property management team that's overseeing the whole operation. And we check in with them. You know, so it was a lot of trial and error, but it could have went really, really bad for sure. Tell me about those earlier on relationships with those two buddies. And, you know, again, a lot of people have the onus and this is this is why I have the show and, you know, the coaching program and the things that I, I do, why I do, because it's mm-hmm. just like, man, like those two individuals, right? They they didn't. And I, I don't you're going to tell me for sure if I'm right or wrong and you're going to you know fill in the blanks, but they didn't have the the business experience. They didn't have the real estate experience per se, right? But they they brought a resource that you no longer had, right? They brought, let's just call it these loan terms that are super favorable. You had the mindset, you had a different set of resources, right? And together with their 
quote unquote skill set or what they brought to the table and your resources, you guys were able to get a deal done, which is that three unit. And then you and the other partner, that four unit. And you often, again, you see first time investors or people who are trying to get into the game, like, oh, I don't have the money or, oh, I don't have the credit score or, oh, I don't have the mentor. You know, I don't have this. I don't have that. But yet and still every single day, I hear from people who, who, get into real estate, at least that first deal, right? That first traction, which is all I think you really need to kind of get the snowball rolling. They get into real estate in so many different means and ways. Why? Because they made a decision, right? Because they want to, because they've already decided this is what they're going to do. Whereas the people who have the excuses, they only have the excuses because they haven't decided. Because they, it's, it's not that there isn't a way, right? There, there, there's people like you out there who are, who are telling you know your story and what you're doing and how you're doing it. You know, We're doing this consistently. But again, some people are doing it. Some people aren't. And those two partners of yours, are they still with you in the business today? Are they, have they, have they grown their portfolio? Have they gone on to do bigger, better things? Have they gone on to do more that, or they're like, Hey, you know, we partnered on this three unit. I'm good. I'm okay. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do this. What's their status today? Just curious. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, So yeah, I mean, they're still, there's, you know, they went and bought other properties. Um, <clears throat> they went and, you know, took their real estate journey to the next level. So they're like-minded people, you know. Um, we, we share advice. We share different strategies, different recommendations with each other. And one of, one of the partners I actually own two properties with, you know. So overall, yeah, it's, it's very, very valuable to have those relationships and to surround yourself with like-minded people at all times. Yeah, I love it. So... Um, let, let's move. Let's move into a little bit of strategy, right? And again, just because we, I think the crux of our our episode, we've talked about your journey. We've talked about entrepreneurship, right? I mean, you have the the car rental business, the real estate business, the tax service, right? And 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 you know, and maybe we'll just keep it really, really high level because of the three different facets that you operate in. Unless I'm missing one, am I missing one? By the way, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of businesses in there, but the main is real estate and taxes. So, so if you're if you're talking, uh, let's 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 stick to real estate, right? If you're giving advice to, just say a young college student, right? Somebody who's trying to figure out their path, and you know they're they're hearing a lot of different things. They're listening to podcasts like mine. They're going to YouTube. They're reading articles, bigger pockets, all this stuff. There's just so much noise out there. Right. And you want to give them advice. What are what are some of the things that you would say that you've heard from, you know, mentors, even um, your peers, people who are actual real estate investors, they're doing it. But at the same time, you just don't necessarily agree. What are some what's some of those bad pieces of bad pieces of advice that you want to clear up today? You want to set the record straight or you want to talk about your point of view, whereas this is how most people look at that. And they're successful, but this is how you look at it. And this is why you look at it this way and possibly why it's more beneficial. What are some of those pieces of bad advice that you hear again at webinars and seminars and all these places from these other real estate guys that you're just like, uh, I like to do it a little bit more this way. What are some of that? Yeah, I would say one bad advice is buy what you can afford, which I think is one of the worst advice on the planet because it's not about what you can afford or it's not about what's realistic. It's about what you see. It's about what your eyes tell you what you can do. You know, Obama didn't become president of the United States thinking that he would basically he had to have the mind to see that he would become the president of the United States. Right. Where the average person might say, man, that's impossible. That would never happen. So there's a famous quote and it says that whether you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. Right. If you think you can, you're probably right. You can. If you think you can't then you're also probably right. You can't because your mind is going to trap you. And so when people say, hey, yeah, just buy what you can afford. I'm like, that's that's insane. That means you don't understand real estate. You don't understand the power of leverage, the ability to buy something with less of your own. Nowadays, they have down payment assistance programs where you can literally get paid to buy a property, which is insane. You know, I had a client who literally got money at closing for buying four unit building. I mean, unheard of. Like they literally wrote him a check and also gave him the building. (laughs) Now he has tenants paying his, you know, paying him money every single month. And he never has to come out of pocket because the building already had tenants in there. So 
when I hear that, like, hey, buy what you can afford, I'm like, that's insane, right? Why not expand what you think you can afford? Exactly. First of all, look at value first as opposed to price. You know, look at the value of something, see how much something is actually worth before you go ahead and think about price. The first question you should ask, the first question you should ask about something should not be the price. How much does it cost? I hear that all the time. Oh, how much does it cost? I mean, have you taken a second to analyze how much it's worth, mm. right? How much is it worth? And this is the concept of value investing. This is what Warren Buffett uses and has become a billionaire, you know, 10 times over. Mm. So I would say, long story short, when you're investing in something, look at the value of it. Look how much cash flow it can generate you as opposed to something as mere and as minute as price. Price doesn't really mean anything compared to the value. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the price thing is a barrier that gets in a lot of people's way, man. I, it's, you know, um, one of my students was just telling me that um, he had um, he had like a crazy valuation or appraisal um, on his primary residence. I think, um, you know, probably I can't remember the number he said, but, but let's just say between 50 and $100,000. And, and he was just like, man, like I feel empowered. And as he should right? more money allows you to do more things, right? That's just a fact. But what I wanted him to think about and to realize from that statement is that that feeling of empowerment, right? When you refinance and you pull that money out, that feeling of empowerment that you can feel like you can go buy this and do this and do that and invest in that. I want you to have that same feeling of empowerment without that money. Because if you can stir up those same feelings right? The, the answers, like you said, the ways to do things, right? It doesn't always necessarily have to involve money or your money, right? There's always a way to get something done. The question is, are you resourceful enough to get that done, right? A little bit about, about my strategy, right? We buy properties subject to, we buy properties using owner financing, right? So it's less about how much money do you have. It's more about how do you figure out how to solve everyone's problem and make a win-win situation? So I'm never approaching a conversation thinking about, well, do I have enough money to buy this property? Mm. Because if I am, there's going to be very few properties that I'll be able to buy. So I told mm. him, I was like, yeah, you, you, it's great to feel empowered with that, you know, that new, newfound money. But that feeling of empowerment, you need to have that 24-7 because there are deals that you can do now. These, you know, and you can talk about some of the biggest syndicators in the world. I mean, most of their deals, my, my very first mentor, most of his deals are done with very little to no. And these are, these are, you know, 300 unit buildings. These are, you know, uh, $30 million portfolios. Like th these are massive buildings. And it's just him having a conversation with people, a conversation. So again, when, when, when most people, they, they're like, man, I need, I need the money to invest in real estate. No, you need to learn the tricks of the trade. You need to work what's between your ears. You don't need the money. You need to figure out how everybody else is doing it. You get what I'm saying? So, so, so when you, when you, and again, I'm, I'm really reiterating what you just said, but it's, it, it's the one thing that I know that most people struggle with, right? You, they see those, those late night infomercials, low and no money down. But again, people, maybe on the surface level, they think it's possible, but they don't believe truly that it's possible for them. I know you want to interject here, so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's without a doubt. I a thousand percent agree, you know, and it's, um, it's not about what you can afford. It's about how can you afford something, right? If, I mean, if you knew how much real estate you can buy with so little money, you'd probably want to own the whole world like I do. <laughs> it, 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 again, it, again, you and I are talking candidly, but I want the listeners to know, like this is this, like this is real life. Like I, I was talking about the other day, like I bought a deal for a hundred dollars, for a hundred dollars, and the only reason I spent a hundred dollars on the deal is because my attorney, my title company, said, "Hey, you just have to put some type of consideration down." I really bought the deal for nothing. The owner wanted no money, nothing from the deal. She just wanted to walk away, but I put down consideration. So I always say, yeah, I buy deals for, for $10. Sometimes I buy deals for $10. It's not about the money. Mm -hmm. It's about the knowledge that I have to get these deals done. So, so 
Now, let's shift focus a little bit because I, I want I want people to really understand you as a person and how you're going about again building multiple companies. Um, 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 your, your strategy, how when things hit the fan, you're not really getting too too nervous and things. I mean, quarterbacks are a great example of people who stay calm and aware in the pocket, right? So. Jeff, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel unfocused, or maybe you've lost focus temporarily, what do you do to get yourself back in alignment? And if it helps, what questions do you ask yourself? I mean, first of all, I turn to God, you know, who's my guardian and angel. And I always ask him the question, like, basically, is it worth giving up? And Mm -hmm. usually the answer is no, it's never worth giving up. So that's one source that I usually go to. Second one is my purpose. I always go back to the purpose to inspire and support the super hungry to take hold of infinite resources in order to create an abundant lifestyle. If I were to give up, I would never be able to fulfill that purpose. And then thirdly, I look at my vision board. You know, I look at my vision board probably at least twice a week. And I just see, hey, these are things I need to get done. If I don't get them done, I won't be a happy person. Right. So those are my three sources, God, my purpose and my vision board. Absolutely. I, I, I like it. Absolutely. Um, to, to add on to that, let's just say you're in a moment of, of decision, right? You're, you're again, for me personally, I, I know that in the shower, going on walks, um, leaving, leaving um, the email and typing up the email and coming back the next day before I send it. Like there's a lot of different little things that I do to make sure that when I'm overwhelmed, I'm, I'm unfocused. I don't know the answer to something. Again, walks is probably number one. Like if I go on a walk, trust me, like I will have that problem just nailed by the time I get back. Well, is there any, any anything that you put like is writing or is there anything that you do specifically to get, to get on track? I mean, I, I read the Bible a lot. That's okay. one. Um, I also do take walks and they definitely help me, you know, basically get my mind fresh and everything like that. I do tend to watch a lot of movies and believe it or not, I get a lot of, you know, for one, it allows me to, you know, un basically unwind just a little bit um, and just, you know, take things a little easy. So, yeah, I would say for me, reading the Bible, a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation, and also just finding time to just think and just unwind a bit definitely helps me a lot. Keep my mind fresh. I love it. I love it. Last one, at least before we get to the last and final round, what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made in yourself. And this can be an investment of time. This can be an investment of money. This can be an investment of energy. What's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made in yourself? I would say one of the best investments is just starting like reading books. I would say reading books has helped me a lot. One of the first books that I read when I was 16 was actually the Bible. I read half the Bible when I was 16 and then led into books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, teaching you about abundance, the four-hour work week, <clears throat> excuse me, cash flow quadrant, right? How to win friends and influence people. That seven habits of highly effective people. I can go on and on. And so one of the best investments I've ever made in myself was reading books and educating myself. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, Watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S. Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from. With the click of a button, you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the Jobs Act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about, much less invest in. Now, what I like about Fundrise is they're ridiculously low advisory fees. So dig this at 1.5%. My actual returns on Fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets, even though they advertise higher returns. So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market.
That link, one last time, is beforethemillions.com forward slash fundrise. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, the original. The original yeah, yeah. purple book. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Lifestyle, lifestyle design app? I mean, that, um, that's a tough one. He's probably yeah. on that on that Toro app every day, checking the balance. I don't know how Toro works, by the way, but I'm I'm pretty sure. <laughs> is, there a, probably, is, there, is, there, is there a cool dashboard that you can kind of just see the overall metrics of everything? Um, yeah, it is. I mean, I would say probably maybe uh, Robinhood. Robinhood. <laughs> okay, there we go. Right, that's that's probably a first first time recommendation. Robinhood. Tell us a little bit of Robinhood real quick. Yeah, it's a stock investment app, so it allows you to buy stocks at pretty much you don't pay a fee. And it's very, very user-friendly. And it, it basically allows you to get into the market and invest in any stocks that you want. I like it. I like it. I like it. Absolutely. That will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. What sure. do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Yeah, I like how I can choose to do whatever I want, when I want, uh, with whoever I want. And just freedom. This is the reason why I left my full-time job, PwC. So freedom to me is the number one thing that I value the most about um, my life right now. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I had to basically distance myself from certain friends and family members. So I knew that was one big sacrifice because when you surround yourself with scarcity minded people, you're going to be a scarcity mind yourself. When you surround yourself with abundant minded people, you're going to be abundant yourself. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You are the five people that you surround yourself with. And so for me, it was getting rid or not getting rid of, but basically distancing myself from certain friends and also certain family members. I love that. And the next question is on the opposite end of that. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Um, I mean, well, God was number one, right? Because he kept me on the right path. And also, I had mentors. Um, for example, I have a man named Rick Justice, um, who's my business coach, business personal and business coach. You know, uh, my parents did also motivate me to keep pushing, um, and I think that's very, very important. So I'll say before before the millions, before the seven figures, it was definitely God, my parents, and also my business coaches as well. I love it. Last but not least. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Yeah, I think it's because we don't have profound purpose. We haven't found our, you know, our overall purpose in life. And so we don't have something that's truly driving us to the million. Right? We're just wandering around, working a job. You know, um, even when somebody gets married, you know, they haven't found their purpose quite yet because they don't, they don't really know. All they know is they have a good life partner. Hopefully they have a good life partner, but they don't really know what their purpose is. But I think once you find your purpose, then you use that purpose to drive you essentially towards the night. Yeah, well said. And, you know, just to add to that, one thing I've always struggled with is just, um, and not not personally struggled with, but, but mm-hmm. pr- struggled with as far as like helping people through it because again i have personally struggled with it and it's putting a time frame on your purpose when For you'll sure. find it if you'll For find sure. it right i mean the colonel of kfc i mean he didn't find his purpose till what what was he 55 60 65 right exactly. and some people are again you and my little sister knew exactly what you wanted from a young age and those people i, I mean i used to be jealous man i'm like man like I just wish I knew what I wanted, like what, what I was supposed to be doing, what my mm-hmm. purpose is. And yeah. I would just try to force the, you know, square peg round. I would just try to force it, force it, force it until I found it. And I'm, I'm glad as late as I felt like I found it, I still found it in my twenties. Right. Exactly. And, and you can't put a time on this. So what do you have to say to people who are like, man, like I want to find my purpose and I want to find it now. And I'm, I feel like I'm dying inside unless I find my purpose. What, what is your advice for them? Yeah, I mean, you have to go through different exercises. You have to really understand, first of all, what do you like to do in life? Like, You really have to sit down 
and ask yourself, what are the things you want to do in life? What, who do you want to help, basically? So sometimes you just have to go through the experience and you actually have to sit down and actually think about your life for a second. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to the, to the, to the, I guess to the patient's part of that, I mean, there's no, there, you can't put a time limit on, on, on any of this stuff. That's true. You know, you just, you just, you have to be diligent. Uh, you have to be prudent about searching for what it is that you want and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, pray that you have favor. Exactly. Exactly. Mr. Badu, this has been absolutely amazing. I've learned so much about your story, about your businesses, and about the culmination of the things that you've done to help so many people get to where they want to be. If the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to uh, check out your website, uh, sign up for some of the things you have going on, ask you a question or two, maybe just drop in and say hi. Mm-hmm. Where can they find some of your information? Yeah, I would say easiest way is my website, which is jeffbadu.com. Once again, that's jeffbadu.com, J-E-F-F-B-A-D-U.com. That's where I have all my infinite resources available, including my articles, my videos, you know, audio, um, books, courses, everything like that. And then you can also contact me directly on that website as well. I love it. I love it. And the link to that will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. All right. Thank you.